Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this March 2016 episode is online genealogy tools and apps. And we're going to start the discussion off with Diane Haddad, editor of Family Tree Magazine, who recently blogged on the Genealogy Insider blog about some of the significant changes to a very popular genealogy tool, Family Tree Maker. Then in our top tips segment, author and contributing editor Sonny Morton is back to discuss the difference between the three biggest online tools, Ancestry, MyHeritage, and Find My Past. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Family History segment, we'll talk about some of the free databases available to you over at Ancestry. And in our Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Lisa also is back with tools for creating your own family history website. Then we will wrap it all up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. March 2016 episode, we are focusing on online genealogy tools and apps. And a great place to start is the genealogy news with the genealogy insider, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hello. So uh, we're talking about genealogy tools and apps. And of course, one of the main tools that we all use are genealogy software databases. And there's been a lot of news in that front, hasn't there? Right. Well, back in December, Ancestry announced that it was discontinuing Family Tree Maker, and then with that, syncing between Family Tree Maker and Ancestry member trees would stop at the end of 2016. So um, I think a lot of people were taken by surprise, and they, you know, they weren't sure what they were going to do because they'd been putting all of this information in their online trees. How are they going to have their own backup copy without the software to go with the tree? So. Fast forward to the beginning of February, and Ancestry announces that Family Tree Maker is not going away after all. We are selling it to a company called Software Makiev, and that is the company that's been producing the Family Tree Maker for Mac version. So there's already a relationship there. Um, so yeah, another surprise for people. Yeah, just when you think you know, you've swallowed the first news mm-hmm. then something else comes along. It's just been kind of evolving. Right. And um, I, I think this brings to the forefront of all of our minds kind of the lack of permanence right. <laughs> on anything. I mean, because technology, you know, this is all new territory and it's uh, changing. And I, I imagine you hear that from your readers as well, just some concerns or adjustments to this idea that things do change. I do. And we actually had received a letter um, for someone asking for some guidance. They, um, the person said they had expected, um, you know, they started using Family Tree Maker years and years ago and saw no reason that they wouldn't be able to use it for the rest of their life. And <laughs> you just can't rely on that with pretty much any kind of tool or website you're using that doesn't belong to you. If you're using some other, you know, some company's website or online tool, you cannot count on it to be there for you forever. Well, and that's where I think you've really struck the nail on the head with that word tool. And that's what we're talking about today. And it's thinking about 
things like genealogy databases and websites with data collections and all of that, they're all tools. They're not the end-all be-all, right? Right. So you have to you know, use different tools. Don't rely too much on any one tool and always have backups. Download the records, um, keep them on your computer. I actually will print out pictures that are, you know, really important to me because you just, you know, you want to have multiple versions of things in different places. Absolutely. So we need a, a strategy, a process that we follow and the different tools can plug in and out of that because we know One thing we can count on is things will change. But that doesn't devalue, of course, the value that these tools can bring to us today in our research. And that's what we'll continue to delve into here in today's episode. If you want to check out Diane's reporting on this whole kind of evolving situation with Family Tree Maker, I'll have links in the show notes to a couple of her articles that really kind of spell this out for you, what it means for you, particularly if you are a Family Tree Maker software user. And one of the prime articles is called Family Tree Maker Returns Plus Ancestry Partners with Roots Magic. And that was really good news, wasn't it, Diane, that Roots Magic might be able to have some syncability by the end of 2016. Right. Roots Magic will be working with Ancestry so that if you have Roots Magic software, you can now sync that with an Ancestry tree. So that was really good news um, for Roots Magic fans and for people who had switched to Roots Magic because they didn't think Family Tree Maker was going to be around anymore. Yep. Exactly. Perfect. Well, thank you for all the news. We will talk to you next month. Sounds good. There are three big players in online genealogy records. Ancestry, Find My Past, and My Heritage. So just how do they measure up to each other, and more importantly, to your research needs? In today's Top Tips segment, I've invited Family Tree Magazine contributing editor Sunny Morton back to the show to share what she learned when she dug into all three of them. And that was for her article, Triple Threat. And it appears in the March-April 2016 issue of the magazine. Welcome back, Sunny. Thank you. Hey, this is a great article. I know you did a ton of research in preparing for it. I don't think I've ever researched that. Like there's just so many different pieces of information to find out about each site. And the more I dug, the more I realized how many more I, how much more digging I needed to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that kind of reflects the challenge that genealogists face when you're going to uh, do some research and you think, oh, where should I start? And then you realize there's all these different factors and it just becomes, oh, I'll just go to my favorite and, you know, I'll start from there. But that's not always the best way to go. And I'd love to hear um, first, what criteria did you use to compare the big three? What did you think were the important factors? Okay, well, good question. I started off with, I thought, the most important factors, which is really going to be record content. And that's not just numbers of records, but the geographic distribution of records. We don't care mm-hmm. if you have a billion records for the UK. If you're, if my ancestors, you know, all came from Scandinavia, then, you know, why do I care? Um, exactly. So, of course, record content was really important to me. But then as I started digging, there's also a lot of other things to consider for each site. And I think the way each site searches, that gets technical really fast. But the types of searches that you can do at each site are also really important. 
And then as I dug a little further, <laughs> I kept getting more search criteria. And that's that's what made this article so complex is I kept going back to my, um, my very patient and um, accommodating representatives at each one of these three sites. And I'm, I'd go back and I'd say, okay, now let's talk about family trees. Now let's talk about your social networking co- and collaboration tools. Now let's talk about your apps. Um, and then I could I could pretty much handle the DNA myself. That's pretty straightforward. But there were a lot of things to consider for each of these sites. And you know, you just mentioned um, you know if if a website has billions of records, but they're all in the UK, you know that's a big deal because I may not be looking there. And so you put Find My Past in this category of the big three. But obviously, with somebody with Swedish background, they're probably thinking that one of the major Swedish websites is one of the big three. Um, Is it that Find My Past is targeting the US audience? How did you fit that into this big three in terms of how they kind of fit into that grouping? All right. So really, you're asking me, how did Find My Past break through? break beyond, but just being a regional sort of website? That's a good question. And yes, um, Family Tree Magazine is um, a primarily U.S.-based audience. So I care primarily about U.S. records. And Find My Past has really, in a big way, broken into the U.S. market. They have gone after major records collections here. They've got great partnerships with Family Search, where they're getting funneled records and they're outsourcing their own as well. Um, they've had a lot of marketing reach into the U.S. and They've got the strength of Percy, too, and that that shouldn't be discounted for U.S. research. So they really do have a lot to offer U.S. researchers. But if you think about it, yeah, they're U.K., but so is a majority, I would say, of the global British diaspora. If you think about the British Empire and where they went, as far as the English-speaking world, you have Canada, you have Australia, you have all of these nations, uh, parts of India, so many places that were populated by the UK that many of our ancestral roads lead back to the UK wherever you are in the world. That makes total sense. Okay, so we've got ancestry, find my past, and my heritage. If you had to kind of say what your top three criteria were, what were the the main components that you were first comparing? Okay, well, definitely record count. So the way it stacks up in terms of record count is pretty straightforward. My heritage comes in third place with four billion names, which, you know, we think four billion. And now if they're in third place, that's a lot. That's a lot already, right? So we're setting the bar high here, the third place winner. And then Find My Past just about doubles that to nearly 8 billion. And then Ancestry just takes it away with their billions and billions of records. So they really are way out in front of everybody, but they're still, the third place winner still has 4 billion names on their website. So all of them really have tremendous record content. But as you can see, there's a, there's a definite break there with Ancestry.com out in the front. Right, they nearly double um, find my past. And yet these numbers are changing every day as well, aren't they? Because every time I turn around, I'm getting a press release about a whole new collection. Yes. I think that's one of the key things that this writing this article, and then having it go to press and then getting the next press release. I'm like, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, 
<laughs> at some point, they're like, no, Sonny, you can't make any more changes to this article. Oh, but this just changed and it's big. Um, so there's it. if there's something that's absolutely true in the genealogy industry, it's that things keep changing. For example, I, an article I just submitted that will be in an upcoming issue of Family Tree Magazine is going to talk about some really cool keyword searching you could do at Ancestry.com. They're doing some pretty creative things now that are starting to um, rival my heritage in terms of their uh, creative search technologies. And that's that's another one of the core strengths that I talk about in the article. But, you know, Ancestry is ratcheting it up some in the way they're searching these records now. Exactly. Now, before we kind of get into some of the search features, trees would be another criteria it looked like that you really compared because that's a another big way in which we make connections with not only records but with cousins um how do they stack up with each other in terms of trees okay well that's a good question because and the answer as in every answer in genealogy is it depends we have the total number of trees and then we have the geographic distribution of trees mm-hmm. so i would say that the global um, diversity for trees, my heritage is a hands-down winner. They really do have a global population of people that they serve in like 40-some languages. So you do have, you know, the Germans who never left Germany are there putting up their trees. Those who speak Polish or those who speak Russian or all these other languages, they are still in their ancestral homelands and they are posting their trees. And you better believe that if they're still in that area, they probably know some things. <laughs> they still speak that language. They know some things that we don't. Um, so if you want to go back to some of these core families that did not leave the ancestral homeland, that's where I would go search for family trees first. But of course, um, really, you're going to have large numbers of family trees also on uh, Ancestry.com. So my heritage really has that global strength in terms of their trees. Now, they have 28 million trees. Does that sound like a lot to you? It sounds like a lot to me. <laughs> that's a lot of trees. But Ancestry.com, just for the sake of comparison, has 70 million trees. Wow. That's a lot of family trees. Yeah, it sure is. And and that's one area where Find My Past isn't there yet. They, they really aren't doing the family trees yet, are they? You know, you can build your own tree on Find My Past, but you can't search other trees. They don't have a public mm. interface for searching that yet. They say it's coming. They have a few things <laughs> that they're a little behind on. They've been so uh, wrapped up in sourcing this excellent, very deep content for the UK, for Ireland, Scotland, that they really have not focused on some of these other tools that are already available on the other sites. So trees is not something you can really search yet on Find My Past, but I hope to see it come soon. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you have a kind of a keeping stats um, table here, which is really wonderful. It's all laid out, kind of has the criteria here that Sunny covered and what her findings were. And one of the categories is unique features. And that's really kind of some of the nuances. Tell us about what are some of those unique things that we should be keeping in mind to go, ah, that's the one I should go to for this particular research case. Sure. Well, absolutely. When it comes to DNA, as far as integrating your DNA into your tree and into other people's trees, Ancestry.com is the only one that's doing that right now. 
you know, hopefully we'll see some progress uh, with the other sites, but that's really where it's at. If you're going to do mm-hmm. autosomal testing and you hope to connect with other people who have posted family trees in an environment where there is family history research, record access, you know, that it really is Ancestry.com or Ancestry DNA, that part of Ancestry.com. So I would say definitely go with Ancestry with that. Um As far as social networking tools, yes, you can do a lot of collaboration on Ancestry.com, but as far as working, I think the the user-friendly aspect of working with your relatives, inviting them to a site, showing things off, calendaring things is really a lot friendlier for my heritage. I have found that I can get a cousin of mine who's my age and has little kids. She'll go into my my heritage tree because she wants to put a few pictures of her own kids there and put their data there. So it's more yes. of a family social network in her mind than it is, you know, hardcore genealogy. So she sees it as very approachable. Whereas I think that sometimes the collaboration on Ancestry.com, when we think about that, we limit it more in our minds and so do our relatives to, oh, that's just for if you're interested in genealogy. Oh, that's a great point because we're trying to get that next generation, you know, involved. Exactly. So we've already mentioned a couple of things for Find My Past and definitely it's UK strengths. Um, Historical newspapers also, you know, all three of them have some newspaper content. Ancestry has the least because they um, funnel their newspaper content mostly to newspapers.com, a sister site of theirs. MyHeritage has lots of newspapers to search. Um, Find My Past has a lot of overlapping collections with MyHeritage, but they've got some really great deep-sourced British and Irish newspapers that others don't. So that's definitely a strength there. And again, going back to, I mentioned Percy earlier, but I didn't explain what it is. Percy is the periodical source index, which is this mammoth bibliography of all of the genealogy and history periodicals out there. Magazines, newsletters, all the places that an ancestor might be mentioned that you don't know about because it's on a shelf somewhere. And that's an amazing resource that everybody should be using. It does go past the U.S. It's, it's strongest for the U.S., but Percy does offer materials for past the U.S. What were some of the main things or what were the top things that really surprised you? You know, because you really dug into this, and I'm sure there were some surprises along the way. You know, I know the three sites pretty well, but I will tell you that the biggest surprise Um, There might have been some little ones, but really the biggest surprise for me was comparing the UK content of Ancestry and Find My Past. Because when I first looked, I'm like, okay, if I'm, I already know what's on Find My Past and it's awesome for the UK. But then when I go to look at Ancestry, huh, they've got a billion UK records. Wow, that's pretty impressive too. But then I started digging in and I'm like, oh, they're mostly from the past hundred years or so. So understanding that is really important because if you sign up for Ancestry thinking you're going to find, you know, British records from the 16 and 1700s, you might be really disappointed. So about a quarter of the records from the UK on Ancestry.com come from phone books since 1880. And, you know, that is the perfect example of why this article is so valuable. And that is because it depends what the needs of your research is, are. And when if you're looking for somebody who lived in the last 100 years, then you know, oh, I'm not just going to always go to find my past because that's the UK site. You know more about these sites now and their strengths and weaknesses so that you could think, ah, that's 
falls in the ancestor category versus when I'm going a couple hundred years back, then I'm going to be looking at find my past. I, I really love that about this article because it puts our research in the driver's seat rather than the websites in the driver's yes, seat. Does that make sense? Yes. And actually, yes. That was the big aha moment. I said, okay, I have a couple of, um, I keep a couple of people in my back pocket and they're my parents. My mom is, <laughs> my mom's a professional genealogy librarian and my dad is a, um, he's a long time off and on researcher, um, but he totally gets it. He knows how to do this. And so as I was doing this article, I started to worry. I'm like, am I getting really geeked out here over all these little tiny details? Is any Anyone else going to care about these? And so I sent them a draft of the article to take a look at. I'm like, just just tell me if I'm just going too far here with the level of detail. And the response from them was, you know, this has totally changed our way of thinking. Because like you said before, it's just like, well, if I have a question, I'm going to go look on my favorite site, which is the one I subscribe to, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I've already chosen it. And that's where my research is. And now um, my dad came back and he's like, well, I'm, I'm actually going to, you know, when I get this in the magazine, I'm going to tear it out and keep it next to my desk so that next time a research question comes up, I'm going to come back and say, which site would be the best place to start? And he's like, that's a total shift in my way of thinking about how I do my research. And he called me, he got his magazine a couple of days ago, and he called me to say, they put it right in the middle where you can tear it out. <laughs> it's like, it's really neat to tear out. <laughs> so he was very excited about that. So yeah, it is, it does represent, I think, and this is, you know, this isn't just me and the article. It's the fact that each of these sites has gotten themselves to such a, an advanced point in what they can offer that there really is, each of them has something to offer us. So yes, it's something absolutely. that we should be aware of. And um, I'm guessing that we'll need to repeat this in the future because, as you said, things keep changing. But this does, I think, re- hopefully it will represent a fundamental shift in the way many of us approach a research problem. Yep. Well, we certainly agree on that. And I tell you, you're going to agree with my contention that this article is really a must read. It's, it's triple threat. And it's in the March-April issue of Family Tree Magazine. I hope that it does. And I think it will shift your thinking. You'll be in, in uh, agreement with Sonny's parents. And I tell <laughs> you, I've met them both. And that's good people to be in company with. Because that's really the key, is that we want to put you in the driver's seat. And that's what you turn to Family Tree Magazine for. And Sonny, thank you so much for sharing all this insight. You did a lot of homework for us. We appreciate it. I did. Thank you for letting me talk about it a little bit. In our 101 Best Website segment, we're going to take another look at Ancestry. And you might be surprised to hear that Ancestry features a lot of database collections that don't require a paid membership. I've invited author Dana McCullough back to the show, and she's going to show us where to look for these free collections. Welcome back, Dana. Thank you for having me back. You know, in your article, it's called Free Samples, and it appears in the March-April 2016 issue of Family Tree Magazine. You liken some of these free databases out there to the free tastes that we get as we're walking down the grocery aisle. What did you mean by that? Well, a lot of the websites here, the purpose of having them for free on Ancestry.com and other paid social websites is to give people kind of that free sample, a free taste of you know, what it would be like to search that website, just like when you're in the grocery store and they're trying to sell you a new product or give you 
the samples on, you know, Sample Saturday at the grocery store. And uh, it just kind of gives you an idea of what you can expect to get if you decide to purchase that product. Um, and if you don't want to, then you luck out because you're able to access that data for free. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a, a marketing campaign, if you will, a way to kind of try before you buy. But there's lots of great ones out there, as you point out in this article. Let's talk about these. You've divided them in the article, these free collections, into about four main categories. You've got U.S. genealogy, regional city and state, uh, military, and ethnic records. So I'd love to hear what some of your favorites were in each category. Are you up for that? Yes, I am. Awesome. Okay, well, let's talk about U.S. genealogy. So what what's uh, a free collection that we can get our hands on right away? Well, one of those collections is a 1940 U.S. census, and that is the most recently available census that uh, people can access. And so that one um, is one that a lot of people have been looking at in, in recent years um, to try to find their ancestors in it. I think that's a great choice because it's kind of that starter database, if you will, particularly when you're just starting out in family history, because it kind of bridges the gap. We usually know somebody who is uh, still living who may have appeared in the 1940 census. So it's not that hard to find somebody that we already know the names and we can kind of jump from there and go back through the different census records. Exactly. Let's see here. Now, you also have uh, the category of regional, city, and state. Um, certainly, every jurisdiction has its specialty databases. What kind of stood out to you in that category? Well, one of them that stands out to me is the Philadelphia Bank Immigrant Passage Records from Ancestry.com. This is a database that was provided in partnership with Jewish Gen, but it has 139,000 records in it, and it's of immigrants who received assistance paying for their passage to America. So if you're having trouble finding um, a passenger list that has your ancestor on it, this could be a great alternative uh, database to search if they came through the Port of Philadelphia. Fantastic. So that's the Philadelphia Bank Immigrant Passage Records, correct? And it's 1890 to 1949. Yes. Fabulous. Okay. So, and, and that's, again, at Ancestry.com. And um, they kind of worked with FamilySearch, didn't they? Getting some of those, those are also f- uh, records that are available on microfilm. Yes, that is correct. They are also available at the Family History Library. Wonderful. Okay. So moving on, we've got our tasty rations as you have them here. Military records. What's one of the databases that stood out to you in that category? One of the databases that really stood out to me was the Index of Revolutionary War Pensioners. Um, it's a database that's on AmericanAncestors.org. And this has about 80,000 pension and bounty man warrant application files for soldiers and sailors from the Revolutionary War. So um, not only are you getting an index that you can look at, but then when you do or if you do decide to get um, full access to the different websites, partner website that they work with is full three to see the images. If you, you know, look into getting that subscription, um, then you will know right where to get those full application files. And you'll know by searching the index, uh, you know, if it's even worth it, uh, if you have an ancestor that comes up in the index or not. Right. Now that's AmericanAncestors.org, not Ancestry, but it's okay. They they partnered with Fold3, and of course, Fold3 is one of those sister websites of Ancestry. So they, they definitely reach out into all different areas, and how fabulous to be able to have that index available as a starting place over at Ancestors.org. 
Uh, and finally, you have, let's see here, our last category is Ethnic Fair, Immigration and International Records. How about one from that? One of the databases that I like from, from that section is the Brandenburg Prussia Immigration Records on Ancestry.com. Um, this is a database that has is an index to more than 61,000 names uh, of people who immigrated from Germany to the United States in the 1800s and early 1900s. Um, so it's one of those really great resources. Again, if you haven't found the passenger list from a port of arrival, um, those immigration records from a port of departure um, are a great resource if you're looking for your ancestors. Wonderful. So that collection over at Ancestry is called Brandenburg Prussian Immigration Records. Gosh, in just about, I don't know, eight minutes or so, we've covered uh, over 100,000 different records that are available just in those four collections. It's amazing what's available for free online. Dana, this is fantastic. Um, I love that you put this together. There's a lot more in Dana's article. Again, it's called Free Samples. And it is in the March-April 2016 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Thanks so much, Dana. Thank you. So you've been assembling some great stuff on your family history, and you want to share it with relatives near and far. One of the best ways to do that is with a website. In today's Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Lisa also is here to share tips on how to make a free family website. Welcome back to the show, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me back again. Well, you know, in addition to being a great vehicle for sharing family history with our relatives, a website also gives us our own online bulletin board of sorts that can kind of help us connect with cousins who are Googling the same ancestors. So just about anybody can benefit from having a website. Where do you recommend that folks start when they're thinking about creating their own family history website? Well, I think really the first step is to, before you even start exploring platforms, I think you need to decide what the purpose of your family website will be. Is it uh, basically to share genealogy data? Do you want to share a lot of photos? Do you want to uh, do some, you know, community history with it? Do some, you know, in-depth writing on it, you know, sharing stories? Uh, do you want, you know, is it going to be a large website for a lot of relatives of family members? Is it just going to be for a small number of people? Uh, do you, are you making it into a bigger project? So would you want it to be public or private? So you really need to just kind of sit down and just sketch out what your initial plan is. Now, that doesn't mean you can't change your mind. You know, it's, you know, but it, knowing where you're going before you start going into the technical aspects really helps. That's a great point. And, and I'm thinking as you're describing these different uses of a website um, that we kind of have two main choices that people tend to run across, and that is that you can have a a full-blown structural website, or you can have just a blog, which is a website, but it's a, kind of a more simplified, kind of geared to the writing. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between whether we're going to get a blog website or what a, you know how that compares to a full-blown website? Well, yeah, a, um, a blog website generally you can you can find a lot of free platforms. So there are things uh, you know you could do uh, Blogger, which is .blogspot.com. You can do you know free sites on WordPress, you can do Weebly. There's just a lot of different free platforms out there. Um, of course, you trade that off with 
uh, less control, um, more ads in some cases. You might get ads, uh, you know, on your site, uh, but you can also have a full-blown website, which means a top-level domain. So, for example, uh, my blog and uh, is the accidentalgenealogist.com. Uh, I use the blogger platform, but I have my own domain, so it's mine forever, and that's because that suits my needs. But not everybody needs to invest in that full a blown uh, d- domain name, so you might want to, you know, try start out with maybe a free uh, platform, you know, a smaller platform, and see, you know, does that suit your needs? And then, if not, you can always go and, you know, register a domain name. So, you know, it's 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 always good to try something first. But yeah, there are two, you know, there are two different uh, ways to do it, and uh, it just it just takes some planning to think about, you know, what your ultimate purpose is. And for some people, the free, easy to use, what you see, what you get, websites are easier, especially if they don't have programming skills or a lot of knowledge of, you know, how the back end of the internet works. Right. It, sometimes that back end, the, the behind the scenes side of, of maintaining a website can, can get a little bit complicated. Can we uh, test drive this and kind of try these out to see which one we like? Yes. I, you know, in, in the course, we recommend doing that, just setting up a simple site. And uh, you can always, you know, delete, especially the free ones, you can always delete them if you're not happy with it. So, you know, I would always you know, try them out and, and see which one works better and you just start with maybe a small, you know, maybe one, you know, family line or one, you know, story and, you know, try adding pictures and see how it looks and, and then just kind of see what the functionality is and, and, uh, you know, how, how you're adjusting to that platform and that interface. So there are, we, we go over several different types, uh, you know, including, you know, a blogger, uh, website, a WordPress, uh, also some, some, basic company websites, you know, like using myheritage.com, you know, they have a a way that you can integrate your family tree and and have a family website in in their interface. And so we even go over the basics of that. So, you know, again, there's there's kind of something for everyone and you can kind of try them out and see which one suits your needs the best. Wonderful. Well, do you have some tips for us on what we could be including? What What do you kind of cover in the class, and what are some of our options? Well, we we talk about you know whether you want to you know do a full family tree. We want to uh, you know of course photos are really important. A lot of people you know have a lot of family photos, and so you know do you want do you want it to be very visual? Or are you telling a story through pictures? Do you want to add a lot of text? Do you want to write you know profiles of ancestors? Uh, you know, maybe you want to, you know, do, uh, you know, a community profile, like doing more about the history of the town your ancestor grew up in or lived in. And so th- those are some of the different uh, things that you might want to include on your website. And again, you know, some people uh, focus on one specific topic. Um, for example, maybe you have a collection of scrapbooks from an ancestor and you want to do a specific website just on those scrapbooks, you could do that. Uh, you could do, you know, a full sort of family website. I, you know, people do place uh, websites or, you know, one specific surname. So those are, there are many different options and we kind of go through, you know, each of the different, you know, things that you can include and give examples 
uh, you know, some examples of you know, screenshots of, of websites and, uh, that, that are good or, and also, you know, blogging platform websites. We have a few, uh, you know, links to good examples out, out there, uh, of, uh, genealogists doing some, some great work on, on their websites that they make public. And so we can, you know, we can refer people to kind of take a look around and see what they, they like and what they might want to, uh, use for themselves. Well, it sounds like with so many things, it's uh, 90% planning, and probably 10% execution. I know from my own website, it was a lot of thinking through um, these kinds of questions. And I think that's what a structured class like this is so helpful, because it really helps you cover all your bases. So you don't get down the road and go, oh, this is wonderful, but I never even thought about this other part. And now I've kind of painted myself into a corner. I'm curious, now you have the Accidental Genealogist. What website platform do you use for your website? Uh, well, right uh, right now uh, I use, for the AccidentalGenealogist.com, I actually use Blogger to, to do the publishing. Um, and so that works very well. I, I, did, I did, you know, have some help sort of designing the, the top-level domain so I could customize it. Uh, but basically now I can just go in and add things to it and uh, do it all on my own through the Blogger platform. You know, that has worked very nicely for me for what I'm using that for. It's mainly mostly a, a blog, and I, I do more writing and, and more story sharing. Uh, so, right. you know, that, that works well for me. And for someone else, they might want some other bells and whistles or other, other flexibility. So that's why we go over all the different types and give people a, a flavor of what, what they can and can do. But I think my, one of my biggest tips is to just start simple. Uh, you know, you can always sort of add to it, but, you know, kind of, you know, and then I, I also recommend looking at websites that you like and, and seeing, uh, you know, what you might be able to adapt into your own, uh, you know, your own website. So that that's always helpful as well. Well, and it's wonderful that there are websites out there, you know, website builders, where you don't have to be a programmer. I mean, I actually built uh, genealogygems.com. And I was looking at WordPress, the blog site versus WordPress, the website builder. And I went with the website builder. And I was amazed that I could actually pull this off. So it's very doable. You don't have to be a programmer. And if you want to learn more about it and kind of walk through this whole process with Lisa also, you can do it in her Family Tree University course. It's called How to Make a Free Family Website. Very simple. And I will have the link in the show notes for you. Lisa, great ideas. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's always a pleasure to be on the Family Tree Magazine podcast. Time to wrap up this March episode that's been devoted to online genealogy tools and apps. And we will do that at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Hey, I know you've been really busy over at Family Tree Magazine lately. And of course, one of the biggest projects that you've been working on was the winter 2016 virtual conference. And these events are so cool. Uh, tell us what were some of the highlights? Well, sure. Uh, this is really front of mind for me in light of our episode theme about online genealogy tools, because the virtual conference in and of itself is an online genealogy tool yeah. that, you know, it's a conference you can attend in your pajamas. Um, all you need is an internet connection. So that's really great. Um, but, you know, the conference content also has lots of great tips and ideas for how to make the most of online 
technology in your genealogy work. So I'd like to share a few highlights. Oh, please. Excellent. So, okay, the first one that was really um, excited from a technology front, which is online technology, but also just kind of cutting edge technology in general, is dealing with your DNA matches with Carrie Scott. DNA has become so huge for so many people. And, you know, one of the challenges that I think has come up for a lot of folks is sort of these unknown relatives and matches coming out of the woodwork and how do you manage all of that? And what about, you know, when those folks don't know that much or have additional research? So this is a great session to give you lots of ideas about how to manage that process, which I think pretty much everyone who's doing DNA tests right now needs. Oh, yeah. I mean, because they start coming in. And I think what I'm noticing is a lot more matches are coming up because so many people have been testing in the last 12 months. That's so true. Um, Tens of thousands of people are getting tested every month. So the volume is staggering. (laughs) And the great news is you have so much more potential to make matches. The uh, downside to that, of course, is there's so much more information to weed through. So the session is a great thing to help with that. And the second session I want to highlight um, actually is your session, Lisa, um, on Family Tree Maker. So, you know, there was a lot of drama in the past few months with Family Tree Maker going away and then it's not going away, but it really put a fine point for me on how important it is to understand how you're managing your data and your online trees and all of that. And so your presentation gives so much helpful insight into the things that you need to be thinking about and how you can be a really a good custodian of your own family history research. And that was really the key. You know, you're right. It was really a painful process, I think, for so many people who were family tree maker users and for others who weren't who were watching this, wondering, what if this happens to my software program? And yeah, that I think it was, um, in a way, it was a good thing that it happened, because it kind of made us go back and really revisit that whose responsibility is this anyway, and really, it's ours. So um, I was really glad that you guys asked for that video presentation, because it, it was a great exercise to go through. And I'm really glad that people are going to be thinking now about what's the long term process, and I want to be in control of it, not just be at the mercy of, you know, whichever company I'm getting my software, you know, program from or putting my family tree on their website. So yeah, it was a really timely topic. It was it was uh, fun to do and, and actually a great exercise for me as well. I think it's a great exercise for everyone. So I think it's a must see presentation. Um, last but not least, a couple of months ago, when we were talking about New Year's resolutions and getting organized and such, I talked about spreadsheet secrets, um, how spreadsheets are like, Yes. my existence um, and how I organize and manage much of my work as well as my genealogy research. And so I am so psyched that our virtual conference included a session on spreadsheet secrets to organize your genealogy. Everyone who wants to utilize spreadsheets better should watch this video. It's so helpful and gives you lots of great ideas on how you can put that into your workflow. So yeah, it's pretty it's pretty amazing how much we're managing these days. It's so much more information, I think, than it used to be. And it's coming from so many different directions. So I know Shannon Combs Bennett does that presentation and it was just fabulous. 
yeah, so those are my three highlights in terms of making the most of the genealogy technology that you can um, in your day-to-day work. And I'll add that though, even though the conference is over, you can still get access to these sessions. They will be available for purchase from shopfamilytree.com by the end of the month. And this would also be my opportunity to plug the fall virtual conference. We do two of these a year. Um, So if you missed the first one, there's still time to get involved with our next one. It will take place um, from September 16th through 18th, 2016. And you can register for that at FamilyTreeUniversity.com. Oh, and I and I totally recommend it because uh, you, we get to download these videos, so you can participate in the activities that go on throughout the weekend and all the message forums and the conversations. But then you also can go back and re-digest the different topics, and particularly when you need them. So it, it's a really cool event. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for helping us wrap up this March episode, and we'll talk to you next month. Sounds great, Lisa. Talk to you later. Thanks so much for joining me for this March 2016 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. You're going to find the links to everything that we talked about in today's episode at the show notes page. And you can find that at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And you're looking for March 2016. Please join me each month as we continue to bring you the authors, instructors, and websites that can help you achieve genealogical success. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me also at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, and that's also available for free through iTunes, and we have an app for that. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Mm -hmm.